to like a parenting seminar where we just want uh, step A, step B, or when you buy books on parenting and you buy um, self-help books, you know, I say in quotation marks, uh, Christian self-help books, and you do this, 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 and this, and it's going to be great. And uh, just like Zach shared last night, there's no guarantee. So what my friend said about chess was don't get caught up in every single detail, in every single move. Learn the strategy. Learn why you're doing this. Learn, learn the, the, in essence, the heart of it. And then if once you learn that, then you can be in any situation and you'll know how to get out of it. And that's the heart that, that I'm hoping is, is um, expressed you know, today in this session, um, it's, and, and I am going to share a lot of things about what the Lord um, did in our lives and, and, and wisdom that he gave us because we asked him for wisdom. And, uh, and I am going to share that, but, I, but my heart and prayer is that we learn the, the heart of it, the, 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 what it is, how we should act, you know, how it, what it, what's the root of all of it. And, um, and to get there, uh, let's just uh, turn to Luke chapter 7. Verse 36. And, um, you know, as we turn there, I just want to say, you know, people ask me, you know, how did your children turn out so great? And, and uh, I always say, and, and it's, it's by God's grace alone, and it's not because of me, but it's, it was in spite of me, because I wasn't always a perfect parent. And that should be encouraged for, for all of us, because even if we went the wrong way, and like Zach was sharing last night, it's he rewards our faithfulness to him. And it, it may take some more time, and maybe we truly messed up early on, but God redeems. I mean, I'm here because God redeemed me. You know, I was totally lost. And a lot of us, I think all of us are here because at some point we were totally lost. And, and um, so in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 36... It reads, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, this is Jesus, and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. 
I want us to grasp how big this is and the contrast here. The Pharisees, they knew every single detail of the Word of God. They grew up with the Word of God. They grew up in church, so to speak. And church is a, is, is an, is a new word, and church was the synagogue. You know, they grew up with every... When you go to Israel, you see them, and they, they put these little boxes, which I had no idea what it was. It looked like a headlamp. And, and it was like a, the word... I found out there's, the word is in there. And then they, they bind these things. It looks so weird. Um, but then it's like the word, the word, the word. They take it literal. And not only that, but every single scripture, they, 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 they share it. Every day they speak about Isaiah. They speak about Jesus. They're waiting for the Messiah their whole lives. That's their hope. You know, they're just constantly uh, speaking and memorizing. They knew the word of God more than anyone else, and they're waiting for the Messiah. And they believe the word of God because they're waiting for the Messiah. And here's a Pharisee where the Messiah is in his home. It's, he's right there eating with him. This man memorized Isaiah uh, Psalm 19 is used to learn the alphabet. They, they know every detail, every scripture that speaks about the Messiah. They know so much about him. And here he is sitting in his home. And he does not realize that the man that's eating in his home is the Messiah. And not only that, but he's criticizing Jesus. He's saying this man, if he were a prophet, would know who this is. And not, and not only just the, the, you know, the Pharisees, but in John 7, 5, it, and you don't have to turn to it, it says, for not even his brothers believed him. Luke 7, 44, Jesus turned to the woman and said to her, no, said to Simon, and he says, you see this woman. So he's t he, Jesus is talking to the Pharisee. I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We see here in scripture about this woman, we see that she believed who Jesus is. is. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. But not only did she believe, she humbled herself. It says 
she stood at his feet, which she wasn't standing. She's kissing his feet. She's kneeling down and she's humbling herself. She's worshiping him. She's serving him. She's washing his feet. She's loving Jesus with all that she is. And think about that, wiping her, his feet with, with her hair, that, that's what you use a rag for. So women with, with their hair and, and the glory of their hair, she's, she's saying, I'm nothing. I am nothing. I'm taking the, the part of me that's supposed to be very beautiful and it's nothing. It's to like wipe your feet. How do we learn that? And, and I'm going to say something that I, I hope it's not misunderstood. I'm not taking away from other things, but it's here and it's clear in this portion of the scripture that coming to church, coming every single service, coming to a parenting seminar, um, memorizing verses, it does not result in a holy life. And, and, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying because those things are very good and, and the word of God is pure and powerful. But memorizing, knowing these things, like the Pharisees, they knew the word of God more than this woman. This woman was a sinner, meaning that she was not educated in the word of God. She didn't understand every scripture. She probably could not quote Isaiah she was a sinner. She was a person from the town. But she knew who Jesus was. And the ones that day in and day out were in the synagogues, were, were, were learning the word of God, did not know who Jesus was. Going to VBS, drawing pictures of Bible characters, going to youth camp, it does not guarantee a holy life. It does not guarantee that your heart is going to be like this woman. Someone told me a, a story about um, a lady that, that was going to, went to a, a local church, a big church, and, and um, there was a man, like, you know, raising his hands, and, and later on, you know, they, they were talking, and, and, and he said, you know, in the conversation, he said to her, he goes, you're, you know, she, he was worshiping, you know, in, in the, in during worship and, and listening to the teaching. And, and afterwards, when they were talking, he says to her, you're a smart woman. You don't believe this thing about Jesus. And she's like, what? And, I'm, and then she goes, but you were raising your hand. And he goes, yes, I do that to receive the blessing. But that, this, is, this is not real. And I'm just saying that to, to and it's shocking. But it, it's... It's true, and it could happen, and it happens in, in our church, and it happens with our children. How do we teach our children to love Jesus like this woman, to have the discernment to know what is right, where is God in their life, to have the faith, to have the humility, to have the worship, to love Jesus with all their heart? I have an answer for that, but stay tuned. I will say it at the end, <laughs> unfortunately. So, um, but one of the things, I'm going to go through some of the practical things and some of the, the, the callings that the Lord has in our life and as parents. And first of all, as parents, we are shepherds. We are pastors of our home. And to be a shepherd and pastor, we have to first start 
with examining ourselves. Examine yourself. Where are you with the Lord? Where am I with the Lord? I constantly find myself, I need to examine myself because we stray. Even though we're pastors and shepherds, we're also sheep. You know, he is our, the great pastor, the great shepherd. We are following him. But then the Lord is using us for our children to lead them to him. There's a, a, a verse that everyone knows, even um, atheists know, because there's, it's everywhere, and it's, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and that's Joshua 24. But, you know, everybody has, you know, a lot of people have the little um, drawings and an Instagram, the pictures and, and then the memes and whatever, but they, they don't read the context of it. And in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, it reads, now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And, it's, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell in. And then it says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, serving is not just something we say, but it takes for us a purging and there's something that we have to give up and to serve is to say that I have no rights anymore and to serve is to follow your master Jesus and we're always serving something is, is the funny thing is you know we're serving ourselves we're serving um, you know our, our desire for happiness we're serving lies in all different ways. We're always serving something. But how good it is to come and to just say, Lord, those gods that I knew that are my parents followed, gods with a lowercase g, those, those idols, I don't want to be like that anymore. And that's the heart of repentance is to turn, is to say, I don't want to be this way anymore. So we examine ourselves, we come to Jesus, and then we examine them, our children. In Proverbs 27, 23, it says, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. They can get away with so many things if we are just not paying attention. And and it's very, very easy. And we see that in our lives, even we ourselves. It's so easy to just stray for a thought, for something to like pull you away. But as parents, we tend to put a blind, we tend to like put blinders on with our children. Because the heart of that is pride, and, and, and we'll get to that a little bit more. Because they are an extension of us. 
And we want, honestly, in our sinful nature, we want to be glorified. And, and now that we have children, we want them to be glorified. But Satan, and, and Satan is the father of lies. And deception comes in so many ways. And you mix the deception where, where a child can, can easily or a youth can easily, you know, have um, like a, a two-face. Like he can, they can, you know, show you something that, that he want you to see, that you want them to see from them. But then behind your back, they can do something else. And, but not only that, but then, then you have all of the lies and the deception of this world and then you have the, that desire for you to put them on a pedestal. So then you're convincing yourself, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. But a rebellious youth, to get to the point where they spiral out of control, where they're not listening to you, where the parent is like grieving, like, like what do I do? What do I do? It doesn't happen overnight. It happens from years and years and years of you, of us, not paying attention, not holding that standard, not raising them in the light of God's word properly, not knowing the state of our flock so that we can direct them. And it's not so that we're just always, you know, knowing every detail about them, but how can you lead, how can you direct if you have no idea that there's something wrong and I, I see this a lot like in, in the news and uh, somebody does this crazy serial killer or, or a bomber that you know or a shooter that, that, that killed a bunch of people and then at work everybody's like he was a nice guy <laughs> and then they had no idea but then not only that I see so many times the, the, the killers and, and that they do all these things and, and there's interviews with the mother my boy was such a good boy. <laughs> no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. You just, you don't want to see it. And you, because you didn't see it, the world and Satan took him, and, and you just had no idea. So know the state of your flock. And to be a pastor, and we don't have time to read all of it, but to be the, the shepherd and pastor, pastor of your home, it's, it's, outlined in Psalm 23. And maybe we can turn to it, but I'll just highlight a few steps of the things that we're going to cover in being the pastors and the shepherds of our home. Psalm 23. Very familiar to us. And again, like the Pharisees, there's a danger in that familiarity. <laughs> I can't say that. It's too early for me. And um, there's a danger because we read the verses and we know them. But have we received them? Have we really understood what the verses say? And are we applying them? And, and that's something that our children need to learn as well. And we need to learn that. And Psalm 23 starts off, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want means I have everything I need. Which means 
that all of those other things that you think you need, you don't need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And that's us as parents. To be a pastor, we lead. To be a shepherd, we lead. And we lead them to the still waters, which is Jesus. We lead them. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And just stop right there. We read that so many times. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And we shared this with the youth. Um, and I, I asked them to raise their hand. I'm like, do you, does anybody know what walking through the valley of the shadow of death means? And nobody raised their hand. And that's the thing that I'm, I'm trying to express. You know, it's not enough to memorize this. You have no idea what that means. You know what I mean? How can I apply this to my life if I have no idea what this means? Walking through the valley of the shadow of death means walking through the deepest, darkest valley. It was a term given to the deepest, darkest valley. And, what that, and why there's evil there, why there's a reason to fear there is because think of like really steep mountains or I think of the cowboy movies where when they're walking through the valley, that's where all the, um, <laughs> you know, like the, the robbers and the guys with the guns were hiding, you know, on the top. And um, so when you're in the deepest, darkest valley, you're in a place where you're vulnerable and, and there's predators and not only, you know, people, but, but animals and, and things. And there's no way out. And... One thing to note from here is how, in verse 4, they're in the deepest, darkest valley because the shepherd led them there. So don't be afraid to lead your children in a way that may seem like it will be uncomfortable, like it may, it may hurt them in some way when the Lord is leading you in that way because it's a way that they learn. And it says... In verse, the rest of verse 4, I will feel no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And a rod is an instrument of discipline. And a staff is an instrument of protection. And, and, and many other things. But we're going to cover the three points. As parents, we lead, we discipline, we protect. And in leading, the most important thing about leading is that we're leading to Jesus and that we are an example. And Jesus was our example. So we are an example just as Jesus is an example to us. In John 13, 15, the Word of God says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. That's Jesus saying, I have given you an example. So we are to give an example. And in order to give an example, we ourselves have to be right. We ourselves, we're not always right. We always make mistakes. And Jesus never made a mistake. We, as people, we make mistakes. But 
when we do make mistakes, we show our children that we're repentant. See, a lot of times we want children to, to have this honor of us, and that's kind, that's kind of a the, the little deceitful because we're not perfect. We want them to see us as perfect for our whole life. So it is a great thing, and it is a great example, and especially if you've gone through years of doing things not so great and, and things have spiraled out of control, to have a talk with your children and say, you know, forgive me, and say, I've, I've repented before the Lord. I haven't done things that great. And it helps them to see humility. The biggest example we can give to our children, and this is the heart that I'm hoping that we all understand, as this woman that was kneeling before Jesus and, and wiping her tears on his feet, is humility. To be an example of humility. To be an example of dying to yourself. In 1 Peter 2.21, we read, For this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And that Christ suffered. What is the example that he left us? Well, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. The example he's giving us is love. We know that we love our children and we want to show that we love them. But in order to love and truly love, real pure love, you have to die to yourself. You have to give up your rights for the other person. And that's something that your children see, and that's something that they can learn from you. In Romans, please turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. And this is really, all of this is so key and the foundation of what we need to be successful parents. In verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Isn't that what we want for our children? For them to no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died he died to sin once and for all. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Zach mentioned this yesterday. Psychology 
has crept into not only our world, but very much in parenting. And that's one of the dangers of following um, parenting, Christian parenting books. It's better to really understand and follow the Word of God and to pray and to have that relationship with Jesus. Because even in Christian self-help books or, or parenting books, there's psychology mixed in. And I really don't believe in a Christian self-help book. <laughs> Honestly, if I can be honest with you. Be, and and I, I had a hard conversation with a friend that I really love. And, and that friend is just going, was going off the deep end completely and going in a destructive pattern for his life. And, and then he said, you know, things are a little better. And, you know, I got these books and they're Christian and, and um, they're Christian, you know, you know self-help books and they're Christian. And, and I just think that right now what I need, because I've made, been making so many mistakes, I need to understand why I do these things. I need to understand myself a little better. And I love this guy so much, and it was a hard conversation. Um, but I had to tell him, you know, honestly, what you need is not to understand yourself better, but is to die to yourself. It's to repent. And if we can understand that, it, it helps us in how we approach our, our children and how we are those examples that we have those two natures and that's so important for us to understand as Christians and as parents and it's so important for our children to understand that, that we're not the center of this world, that we have the two natures, that in salvation we receive the gift of salvation and we received a new life. We are a new creation. We're no longer a person that's just ruled by our own intellect, our own mind, our own senses, basically like an animal, like scientists say we are. But now we are part human and part spirit of God. We have God's spirit within us. And we need to remind ourselves not to follow the part of us that wants to stray from God and and I find myself a lot of times lately is and I was talking to a brother about this telling myself you submit like like Fernie in his uh, in the parenting video <laughs> if any of you watched that in the not the parenting the the um, the marriage retreat video that uh, Fernie says to Lisette submit woman and that's how we're supposed to be with the Lord. Never be like that with your wife. But with, I mean, not with the Lord, but be that way with our, with our flesh. And to understand that, that when we're making mistakes, it's not us. It's not the spirit of Christ within us that's doing that. It's our flesh. And we say, just like Fernie said in that video, submit flesh. You know, we tell it to our flesh. And it's, that's the opposite of psychology. Psychology wants to heal us, heal our mind. Our mind is dead. It's crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. Why are we trying to heal it and nurture it? Don't follow the psychology books. Don't, please don't follow the Christian self-help books. Don't go to um, Christian psychological counseling because that's just not real. 
What you need is repentance. What you need is to surrender. And Romans 6, 5, and it's not all gloom. There's, there's a light to this. In Romans 6, 5, it says, For we have been united, for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Don't you want to be in the likeness of his resurrection? But you can't get there unless you die to yourself. And so we show humility. We, we hold on to what Jesus said in Luke 9.23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So that leads us to discipline. And, and discipline is a hard subject because many parents don't want to follow biblical discipline for many reasons. Some of it is because of the psychology that has crept into our society. Um, some of it is that we just, it just hurts us, you know. We don't want to cause them grief. But we need to understand that discipline is a good thing. And not only that, and, and there's so many scriptures saying that, and I'm just going to go through some because I'm running out of time. But not only that, we need to understand first and foremost, before I get into more of discipline, is that the battle is not against flesh and blood. We treat our children like they have control <laughs> But they don't always have control because in Romans 8, 7, it says, The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to God's law, nor indeed can it be. And one of the things that the Lord led us in, in our parenting throughout all the stages that they're in is that to explain to them, to help them to, to realize why they're doing this, a lot of times as parents, we're just tackling the behavior and we're getting like, you know, we're punishing for that behavior. Why are you acting this way? You're doing this. Huh? But then it's so good to, first of all, when they get to that point where they have received that gift of salvation, and, and that's another thing that, that we'll cover because there's a point where, where they are so young and they're, they're following and the Lord is protecting them, but there comes a time where they personally receive that gift of salvation then now they are that new creation that we spoke about and now there's a part of them that just wants to be rebellious and there's a part of them that wants to follow the lord and so what we found a lot of times telling our children and especially as they got older and especially in the teen years is not why are you doing this or, or punishing have you spent time with the Lord? Have you spent time to, with the Lord? Where are you? Just like we started off, examine yourselves. Examine yourself. And to explain that the more that we want to follow the things of this world, um, and the more that we leave the Lord behind, the more that we're going to do these things, the more that we're going to rebel, the more that we're going to... And to explain to them, you are doing this because you're in the flesh. You know, and it, it's great for them to just understand that because now they start learning 
I don't want to be like this. I need more of Jesus. Whereas when you're just getting mad at them because they're not doing the things because they haven't met your expectations, you're not doing anything. It says here, the carnal mind is not subject to God's law, nor can it be. So you're just fighting a battle that will never win. But if you lead them to Jesus, if you help them to come to that point of repentance. So discipline is a good thing. It's a good thing. It says in Psalm 119, for it is good, verse 71, for it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Discipline is wrapped in love and encouragement. There are so many verses, and, and I'm not, I can't go through every single one, but Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And um, Proverbs 3, 12, for whom the Lord loves, he correct, corrects. Um, he disciplines those he loves. In Psalm 94, 12, in the New King James, the, 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 the translation doesn't make this verse that clear. It says, blessed is the man whom you instruct. That word instruct uh, literally means blows, uh, discipline. Another translation says, Lord, the, um, happy, how happy is anyone you discipline and teach from your law? See, so you think that you're hurting them, but you're actually helping them. You're leading them to happiness. You're showing love by discipline. So it's a good thing, and another characteristic of discipline is that it must be painful. Uh, and then the psychology and the things of this world, they want to correct the children or correct youth by, by just being as sweet and as nice and as comfortable as possible. And that, I'm sorry, but that's not in God's word. In Hebrews 12, 11 says, no chastening seems to be joyful at the present, but painful, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Be strong, parents. We need to be strong. And to understand and to keep our eyes not on putting them through that difficult situation so that they can learn, but keep your eyes on the fruit, on, on the promises that this is going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness by your children who have been trained by it. And sometimes without us even knowing, we may discipline them and give them exactly what they want. Um, I've seen uh, parents that they... They discipline by saying, go to your room. Well, guess what? In their room, they have their video games. They have their books. They have their, their things to draw with that they love. So I'm like, great, okay. You know? Um, or sometimes we give them more attention. You know, that's the, the thing with the psychology, with like, you know, speaking to them and being so kind. And, and what we're doing is we're giving them attention. So a lot of times throughout the day, we're not paying attention because we're tired from work and all these things. But when they do something wrong, we're speaking to them, we're kind. And they're like, okay, then I just, you know, what, do they, what are they learning? They're learning that the more they, they make mistakes, the more attention that you give them. Um, but that's why discipline, it needs to be painful. Yeah, it needs to be painful, but there's, there's fruit from it. 
And even Jesus, in talking about the example in Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, it talks about Jesus that in the days of his flesh, he had offered up prayers and supplications with cries, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. We're talking about Jesus. How are we depriving our children? How can we say that our children are not worthy of that suffering? When we're talking about Jesus, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation for all who obey in him. Be strong. And know that, that in the pain and in the things that we're, we're just uh, watching them and allowing them to go through, and like Zach shared yesterday, it's better for them to go to suffer now in the little things than later on when they become adults or young adults and, or teens, that then, they, then you see them suffer in the big, big things and making big, big mistakes. So it's better to address those things. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens by our little compromises. And when does it start? Well, well, you're punishing is disobedience, as was shared last night. And what we did is we started as soon as we knew that they knew what no was. And it's a hard thing because they're so cute at that age. And, uh, you know, I remember Ellie's so cute. And, and it's like, but then I remember when they were born and, and um, my father-in-law used to say something, which there's, it's backed by, you know, the, the heart of it is backed by the truth and words God and God's word is that every, and I think it was like an old Cuban saying, it's like every child is born a dictator. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm like, you know, I remember I wasn't even married at that time. I'm like, but it's in God's word. We're born sinful, you know, um, Rebellion is bound up in the heart of a child. So that cute little thing, baby Grace, George and Judy just had a baby, baby Grace is, has sin, you know? And it's hard, and she's so cute and perfect, but she has sin. And don't let that sway you. As soon as they know what no means, and I believe, I was talking to Terry trying to remember, maybe it was like 18 months, even before they were able to like, she was able to like express full sentences and you know she said things she said a lot of things but you know the communication she knew what knew no was and we disciplined with a little like home depot paintster and and again it's not about anger it's you never discipline in anger if you if you're angry step back pray <laughs> you know like was shared last night and then you come and you discipline and it's supposed to hurt but not inflict wounds, you know? <laughs> and, and you'd be surprised how little something hurts. And, um, you know, even with dogs, you, you know, people don't have newspapers anymore, but you would have a newspaper and you just go like that and it makes a sound. And you're like, oh my gosh, what are you doing to that dog? He didn't, <laughs> he just freaked out because you hit with a little newspaper. And, um, and the same, hit yourself with a little newspaper. And you, but, and then, you, you don't, it's, it's like a little sting, but it helps them to see that they were disobedient, you know, and, and be consistent, and let your yes be yes, and your no be no. We, we disciplined 
when they said, when they defied us, when they knew what no was, and then they still did it. And when you lay that foundation early on, and it's a hard thing, I know, because they're so cute, you are establishing in their hearts more of a sense of obedience. And it doesn't guarantee because there's still, there's still sin, there's still so many things, but you're, you're helping establish that heart of obedience. And let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't negotiate. A lot of parents negotiate. Um, and the best, best example of parenting is God. And, it, and you can throw away all of the parenting books by spending time in God's word and by meditating and realizing how does God treat me. And... and you know, God disciplines us, and God, God is also merciful and loving, and, but God is also firm, and he doesn't, there's no gray area with God. And so don't negotiate, because when you're negotiating, you're saying that, that the, there's no right and wrong. You're saying that right can be negotiated, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, what I mean by negotiation is like... Um, you know, if you, if you do this, if you clean your room, and then you're going to get this. And, and it's kind of, or, or if, if, you know, and it's kind of like you're just saying that you have to do certain things, and then you're going to get certain things. But then you're not really establishing, let your yes be yes, your no be no, you know. So in that example, then clean your room. You're not cleaning your room? I said clean your room, you know? But then a lot of times we're like, clean your room. Or sometimes we're like, they don't do it, and we're like, nah, they're just, you know, but they're kids, you know? So we don't give them the consequences of, of what they did. I was with a family once, and, and um, their children were, were older, and I remember like just being shocked by this because I didn't raise my children this way. And they were, were somewhere, and then the, you know, one of the children want, want, wanted to go to this place. And I'm saying older, I'm talking about 20, <laughs> you know, because this, this is just like the fruit of like the, and around 20, and even in 20, it's like, as a parent, my daughter would never do this. It was like, hey, we're going to go to this place. And, and, and then the father and the mother are like, no, no, we, we need to watch me. And then they went inside. And then the other siblings followed. And the dad's like, and then just went in. And I'm like, my daughter would never say that to me. But that was, and even if my daughter said that at 20, I would not allow that to continue. I would, and, and discipline, and that's the other point, discipline changes with age. And, and at 20, I would just, pull her aside and said, listen, that, that's really disrespectful to me, you know? And, and, you know, but what happens is that we kind of give in early on and we don't give the consequence. So your no does not mean no. Your no means, let's see how far I can get away with this. But that's why we have to be strong as parents. Um, and again, like I said, explain the two natures as they're growing, as they're going through the stages in life, um, always point to that. Always 
put the burden on the Lord. You know, they are sinning not against you. They're sinning against the Lord. And explain, this is what the Word of God says about lying. You're not, it's the Lord. You're dishonoring the Lord. You're displeasing the Lord. The Lord sees everything. And as you start establishing that in their hearts, that it's not about you anymore. And it helps you. It helps you because now you're not so much the bad guy and not that God is the bad guy, but you're just showing them you're, not, you're defying God, the ultimate source, our, our creator. And, and, it, and that goes to the next point is that discipline leads to repentance. It leads to repentance, and that's the, the, that's the goal, and that's the heart of it. And in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, um, it reads, and the, contents of, the content, context of this is church discipline, where Paul is talking about there was a, an issue that was addressed at church. And he says in, in chapter 7, verse 9, I rejoice not that you were made sorry but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you, might suffer, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. For the sorrow of this world produces death. And Psalm 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. So it produces repentance, and, and that's what we show them. And, and in that, we show mercy, just how God shows mercy to us. Um, one of the approaches we took as parents was that if Matthew, you know, little, I remember one time he came and he just fessed up. He says, I lied about this, you know. Now, if, if you're just like set on always discipline, always, you would say, you're li- you lied? Well, I'm going to have to spank you, you know, and, and, or something, or just, but have that mercy that God gives us, and God honors the repentance. So when he said, I go, Matthew, you know, normally you would get in big trouble for this, but because you came and told me, you know, God honors that, and so we're going to pray right now, and God honors that, and and so what did he learn from that? He learned that repentance is great, and he learned that he can come and talk to you at any time, at any time, through any stage. But if our battle is against flesh and blood, we're just looking at how to correct every single thing, and we're not realizing that it's about leading them to the Lord, about pointing the direction, about showing that mercy, um, and they learn through that. You know, Romans 8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And so showing them that the spirit of God dwells in them, that they come to repentance, the Lord rewards that. And a a practical advice, too, is never, is to always be of the same mind when it comes to your disciplining approach. What we see a lot in parenting is that one of them is softer. and the other. There's a good cop and a bad cop. And it shouldn't be that way because then they learn that it's all relative, you know. Then they learn that they play on the one that's good. 
or the play on the one that gives them what they want. So you always are of the same mind, then they can't get away with things. And you love and you encourage them. And all of this is always wrapped in love and encouragement. So the other aspect of being a shepherd is protection. Again, the battle is not against flesh and blood. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. When we think of protection, we, we think of physical protection. But it's not just physical protection. It's the spiritual protection. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 says... For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought into captivity. So protection is not just physical, but we protect in so many ways that we don't even think that it's protection. We pray, we pray, we pray. That's protection. It's, it's, it's true. God does listen to prayer. Even if it, we don't see it right away, he does. We protect, like we covered before, by knowing the state of your flock. We protect by helping them and not depriving them of learning opportunities what I mean by that, like I remember, and I think Terry shared this once, like with Matthew, that we were going on a camping trip with a group, and it was within an organization, and one of the requirements is that the child packs their own gear on their own without the parent's intervention. And so Matthew packed his stuff, and it was one of the coldest days in, in Miami. I think it was like 34 degrees. It was really, really cold where we were in the glades camping and he packed but he didn't include his jacket and terry's like i he didn't include his jacket let's let's um we got to tell him i'm like no he he's supposed to pack things on his own and he's not thinking of it so he's gonna learn and it was a hard thing, but we're actually protecting them from the bigger issues that they run into life. He went to that camp without a jacket, and he froze. Now, I knew that he wasn't, and I went as well, so I didn't know that, you know, I knew that he wasn't going to, like, have hypothermia or anything like that. But he was super cold. <laughs> but it was great because he learned, because I need to think about uh, As parents, we think we're protecting them by nurturing them so much. But we're doing the opposite. We're teaching them to rely on you. Um, we're also, a lot of things that we do is that we don't pick up things for them. If we want them to learn to clean up, it's, it's, um, it's like, come pick up the thing that you left here on the floor. But a lot of times we're like, oh, we're just picking up and we're like helping them. And no, you're not helping them. You're just showing them to rely on you. When you're reminding things, and, and moms, as moms, we do, they do this a lot, is that they want to, make sure that their kid re remembers everything like this jacket, but then what you're teaching them is that they need, they don't think, they don't have to think that you're always going to tell them. So you want them to like forget, you want them to look bad in front of the, the coach or at, you know, even at school, and then they're going to have to learn, apparently. I mean, unfortunately, they have to go through those things to, to learn. Um, Avoid setting them up for failure. That's another way of protecting. And what I mean by that is giving them the video games, giving them the TV in their room. Every TV that we have, 
is in a public place. We have one in our bedroom, but we never use it. Our family TV is in the family room. We don't give them a TV in their room. We don't give them a computer, even though now the phones are their computer. But growing up, we never gave them that. We, um, the, the computer is in a public place where everyone can see what's on it. It's not turned so that someone can go and they can hide. So you're setting up for failure if you're giving them those, those opportunities. Um, you know, in the friends that they hang out with, you know, allowing them to just be, you know, you're setting up for, the, for failure if you're saying, yeah, go to the mall with these guys that are not saved and, you know, have fun, you know, and, and it's like, you don't, you know, you want, it's like, it's, as parents, we put the priority on being social and being awesome, but, you know, the word of God says that the world is going to hate you. But then we want our kids just to always be awesome. So, um, you know, avoid those things that we put them into, into that. And that's in John 15, verse 19, that the world will hate you. Um, spend time with your children. And that's another way. That's a, a, an awesome way to actually protect them because that is one of the most important things in, in them seeing you as an example and them growing to love you and to be with you is you're spending time with them. And no matter what type of schooling you do, you, your kids go to school. And if you're homeschooled, they're, they're, they're in school at home. But you have to spend time with them. And a lot of parents, they, when they're in public school or private school or another school, they let them go to school but then they think, oh, that's all somebody else's responsibility. But no, it's your responsibility to spend that time with them. And when, uh, if I can give you a little uh, word of wisdom as, you're, as they're young, is that when we're, when we're dads, we're tired, and then we come home, and the last thing we want to do is talk. And when our kids, sometimes they go through the stage where they're very chatty, and, and you're like, oh, don't talk to me right now. I don't know if, if it's you, but I know that happens, happened to me. But uh, the Lord convicted me and showed me that it's like, if you're doing that now, then when they're a teenager, they're not going to want to talk to you because they learned that. So in the thing that they're, they're talking, even though it's meaningless and they're talking about a unicorn or something or some <laughs> rabbit or, or something, you're just like listening to them and you're giving them eye contact and spending the, yeah, tell me about it. What? <laughs> a unicorn? And then it's great because then they learn to come to you. Um, spend that time with them. Don't neglect that, even if it's going to cost you. And that's, the, that's why I'm saying the heart of this is dying to yourself. I was telling a brother once, I was in a banquet and I, was, I sat next to a guy, white hair and an older guy, I didn't know him, and just talking, chatting to him in the banquet. In the banquet, they were giving awards for the community, and they started naming all of this guy's accolade, accolades. And, and, and they, were, they were just like keys of the city and helping and community service and with children and things and, and all these um, community service things he did and for so many years. And... And it was the guy that sat next to me. I didn't know that. And then he stood up, went up, received the award, uh, came back, and just this lifetime achievement type award. And I said, wow, that's, that's really great that you did all these things, and that's amazing. 
And then he, lo- I'll never forget that. He looks at me, he goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, but if I had to do it all over again, I would spend more time with my children. And man, we, look, we follow those awards. We follow the glory. We follow the money. We follow all these things. And we don't spend enough time with our children because that's how we pour into them. That's how they love us. That's how they see the example of what God's doing in our life. We protect by rendering the enemy's lies useless by explaining beforehand. And I'm going to close with this with the final thing. By explaining beforehand what is about to happen, especially through the years as they're growing older. And what I mean by that, and in John 14, 29, Jesus says, I have told you now before it happens, speaking about his his death and speaking about other things, so that when it does happen, you may believe. We take it for granted. We, we, We let our children to to go places so that they can stumble into the enemy's lies without us preparing them. And, you know, our kids were homeschooled from, from birth, so, but homeschooling is not about keeping them in a cave. It's about um, also doing many things with them and, and allowing them to experience other things and other things with other people. So when they came to a point where they were going through baseball and doing a lot of things, and there was a point where they were going to, you know, Matthew is a little older, you know, I think it was like... Um, eight, nine, like nine probably. And um, he was now going to go to this thing, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, without getting into details, where he would be with a lot of kids. And, And they would be, you know, on their own that are not saved, is what I'm trying to say. And I had this talk with him and that's where I, I said the birds of the bees talk. And it was, and I had said it before because my, my in, in, in a way that they could understand, which was more watered down and, and high level, you know, about your bodies and all these things. And I had said that before, but I had the real like birds and the bees talk that was heavy, you know, about pornography, about, you know, the, the masturbation, you know, all these things. And I remember I went on a road trip so that I don't have to make eye contact because it was so awkward. <laughs> but <laughs> they were driving. And, um, but the Lord put that in my heart and in other stages of their lives, not just at eight. It was even early on. They were always with other kids and kids that weren't saved in baseball. And, um, because they were going to learn that from those kids. I guarantee that there was a kid that was going to start talking about girls, start showing things. And beforehand, it's so much better to be preemptive. And I know some of us have gone past those stages, but God redeems with the prayer and um, puberty, before puberty. Don't wait till puberty happens to, like, freak out because they, they freak out. I had this conversation. It was mostly with Matthew because mom had the talks with Ellie and those personal things. But with Matthew, I had early, early, early on, I was preparing him for puberty. I was telling them. I remember we used to, he used to love Spider-Man. And I go, um, you know how Green Goblin, that he would take that, that, that green potion thing and that it would make him like the, the goblin? 
I was like, well, God designed us because one day you're going to be stronger than me. You're going to be so much better than me. You need to grow, and God is going to make you really strong. And so you're going to have these things called hormones, and you're going to get stronger. But when you get stronger, you know what that means. Your flesh is going to get stronger. And, um, and just like the green goblin, you know, he was taking all these things, and then he's like, he got like really like, and then he totally understood that. He's like, wow. And, uh, and um, but I really believe that being preemptive helps. And because now you render the enemy's weapon useless. Now, when they got into the, the puberty years and when they started acting up, then you start reminding them again. And then they realize it's my flesh. I need the Lord. And it leads them to repentance. It leads them to that point of repentance more and more. And then you have the puberty years, you have the teen years. And by God's grace, and I say this by, you know, honest by God's grace, I don't want to, and no glory to ourselves, it's God. Our children never went through a rebellious phase. And they're 22, 21 now. And they love us, and, and we're so grateful that they want to be with us. They even, when they're planning something, they want us along. It's like, what is that? And, um, and then... Not only in puberty years, but then when they start going to college and you don't prepare them for that, you tell them ahead of time, they're going to say lies to you. You have to learn some things and you just take the test and you do it. But a lot of these things, we, we downplay. We, I really told them college is garbage. <laughs> you know, I know that's kind of like you have to go through college. You're going to learn through college you know, to be prepared about certain things and you have to learn to write and all these things. But... Don't believe the lies. The professors are going to tell you things. You know, they're going to put doubt, doubt in the word. So now when the professor does that, they knew that this, this guy, yeah, look at this. This is what dad was talking about, you know. So lastly, how can we teach, back to what we said at the beginning, how can we teach our children to love Jesus like the woman in, in Luke chapter 7 to be completely devoted, to love him, to, to, to worship him, to have that discernment? The answer is we can't. I know that's kind of a, uh, we can't. And because it's God's work. All we can do is point them to the right direction. All we can do is follow these things of wisdom God gives us to, and, and to help them. But in Ephesians 2.8, it reads, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. They are his workmanship. We are his servants. We can help guide, but it is God's work. We can never convince a person. And, and as a pastor, that's one of the things that's been really hard that God had to teach me the hard way because I was rough with some people and speaking to them once and speaking to a brother once. And it's like I can't convince. It's God's work. All I can say is something in love and then pray and, and allow the battle is not against flesh and blood and allow the Lord and his spirit to convict and to show 
And all I can do is be an example and to love and to direct, to say the right things, but just allow God to do the work. And the most important thing is to get out of the way. God is doing a work, and sometimes as parents, we quench the Holy Spirit. We forget in Matthew 10, verse 37, that Jesus says, The one who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Yet we spend a lot of our life with our children trying to make them see us as their center of attention when we should realize that they need to love Jesus more than us. And so it means to say some things. And even in, in the teen rebellious years, you, you have to stand your ground. And it may mean that it may look like they're going to alienate, but they need to understand that they need Jesus don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't deprive them of coming to, to church and, and spending this time. And quite honestly, um, it was hard for us, you know, youth group at first and so, many, so, mu so much time that they were spending there that they were not spending with us. And sometimes, you know, um, uh, Pastor Zach would plan things on uh, 4th of July. I'm like, wait a minute, isn't that the family time? But then, you know, we realized it's like, no, this is... They need this. They need to be separated from us. We, we tried to make them the center of our world. And I ran out of time, but um, if you read Samuel, 1 Samuel in chapter 2, and Hannah, who had a, uh, the child, and in, after three years, she left him in, in, the, in the temple to be raised. And you would think, psychologically-wise, that's awful. You know, you're the mother. They only see him once a year. But first of all, her heart is that he is for the Lord. And that's our heart for our children. And I don't have time to read it, but in 2 Samuel 2.1, after she gave her child to the Lord and she left to not see him until ne the next year, she says, you know, she's happy. She says, praise be to God. But us as parents, a lot of times we're like, oh, they're going to be away from us. But no, she's like, praise be to God. And he was born and raised in, in Ramah. He was born in Ramah. And the Bible shows that at the end of his years in 2 Samuel 7, 17, it talks about Samuel, that he would return to Samuel because his home was there. He judged Israel there. He built an altar to the Lord there. And in 1 Samuel 25, 1, he was buried in Ramah. So you think that there are, they are being separated from you? but they are really learning and they're being one with the Lord and we are one with the Lord and they are being united. So let's pray. I'm, I apologize for, for going over, but let's pray. Father, I just pray that, um, that each and every one of us, that we may not lose sight of how real you are in our lives and how important it is for us to surrender and to yield to you. We are your servants. Forgive us for spending our lives doing our own thing. Lord, we had, we've, we've had enough of those years. We want to do whatever it is you want to do. So show us what to do as parents. Help us to not get in the way. Help us to always encourage and lead our children to you, to not be selfish, to be an example, to have wisdom. Your word says if anyone asks for wisdom, you give. And 
Lord, I see that in so many lives here at church and so many people that they have wisdom because you've given it to them. And so we ask for more wisdom and give us that wisdom and what to do. And, and we've made many mistakes, Lord, but you wipe the slate clean. So wipe that slate clean in our children's lives. Reach them, reach their hearts so that they may worship you, so that they may surrender to you. Help them to have that personal relationship with you to truly be saved, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.